How many people are ready for the Word of God today? We have been in a series for a while now. I've been preaching a series called Timeless Truth. And today is part eight. And so it is officially the longest series I've ever preached. Some people are like, it really is timeless. (laughs) No end in sight, no. Um, (laughs) But the heart of the message of the series is just really you know, examining this, this reality that there is kingdom, God's kingdom, God's principles, heaven's economy, heaven's way of living, we call kingdom, and then there's culture, which is the world's way of living, right? And kingdom and culture are always at war. They're contrary to one another, the scriptures tell us. So they're always colliding. Kingdom says one thing, culture says a different thing. And church... More subtly than we realize, we can kind of drift off course and begin to live according to culture instead of according to kingdom. So the series is really designed to say, what is kingdom, so that we know what kingdom is, and then when something's not kingdom, we can call it out and say, that's not kingdom, that's culture, and then we go a different way. But living kingdom requires faith. It requires living in the unseen realm. It requires trusting things that you don't see in the natural and believing that God will very much do what he says he's going to do if I obey what he tells me to do. Does that make sense? And so we we know culture changes all of the time, constantly changing. Now, it's a little deceptive because when we're in it, like right now, it can seem like the norm. It can seem like this is just the way it's always been or the way that it's always going to be, but that's not true. Culture changes consistently. Just look back 20, 30 years or a couple hundred years and you can see that it's just constantly changing and moving. Not always bad, it's just to say that kingdom never does. The word of God endures forever. The the kingdom of God will reign eternally. And so we want to align ourselves with that which is unchanging so that we can live victoriously in the midst of an ever-changing world. Does that make sense? So that's kind of the heart of the series. And we've been going through the books of the prophets. You know, the Bible is kind of organized in the Old Testament by the Torah, which is the first five books, uh, of course, of the, with the law in there. There are the wisdom books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There are the poetic books like Psalms. And then you have the prophetic books. There are five called major prophetic books and 12 minor prophetic books. We've been going through mostly the minor prophets in this series. And they, they all spoke over a period of about 400 years to Israel and to God's people. Sometimes some outlying nations, but... The point in that is there's remarkable consistency in so many of the things that they're continuing to say. And the prophets are coming from God with a message for the people that in almost every instance is really just a reminder of things God has already said. And it's kind of like saying, hey, I already said this, but you're drifting off course and so I'm coming to you to remind you what I said so that you can come back to the place I want you to live. And then almost every time what we see 
is a reinstatement of blessings and promises over people and over the nation that God had already said long ago would be there. Does that make sense? So sometimes we need to hear things afresh, don't we? Every generation needs to hear the promises and the covenants of God for themselves so that their faith can stand on them and then they can live by them in their own lifetime. And so that's it's a big part of where we've been going. Today, we're going to visit with the prophet Haggai. Haggai. So you can kind of go there in your Bibles if you have them. Just maybe hold that place for a few seconds. I want to give you a little bit of background about the prophet. Uh, Haggai is one of three. This is one of the things that makes him unique. He is one of three post-exilic prophets, which means that they spoke to God's people after the captivity of 70 years that the people were in. vast majority of the prophets were before the captivity. Daniel was really during, so there are a couple there. But uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are all post-exilic prophets. Haggai was actually the first. Okay? His name means festival or celebration, which is really cool because I want you to think about this. Almost guaranteed, even though the scripture doesn't say this, this is almost all scholars agree, Haggai would have been born during the captivity. So just think about that for a second. This is a person born during hardship, but is marked with a name that means celebration. (laughs) The kingdom of God is almost always counterintuitive to the way things in the world work, isn't it? His name means celebration or festival. And what happened was, after the 70 years of captivity in Babylon, God began releasing his people to go back to Israel to reestablish their promised land and their place of occupancy. This happened in several waves. The first wave of exiles left Babylon and went to Jerusalem in around 538 B.C. So here's what's interesting, is when they got there, they immediately began to attend to the work of the Lord. They began reconstruction on God's house, which his temple had been previously destroyed when they were taken into captivity, right? So they began working on God's house. You're going to hear that phrase and that term consistently today. A couple of uh, periods into the construction, they stopped, and the And it got halted. You could say the work God was calling them to do ceased. Because there were enemy voices in the land who were threatening and intimidating them. Don't continue this work. Don't continue this construction. Or we're going to make it costly for you. I just want you to think about that for a second. How that applies even in present times. That when God has a work for us to do, to trust Him, to step out, advance something for Him, how enemy voices don't come along and try to intimidate, try to threaten, and say, don't continue this work, don't keep doing this work, or we're going to make it very costly for you. Are there not voices and intimidating voices like that in our world today, right? So unfortunately, they stop. In about 16 years... 
goes by, where nothing is happening on the house of God. We could say the work of the Lord had been stalled out among the people. You following? So Haggai comes along. He gets a word from the Lord. Prophet gets stirred up, and he comes to the people and begins to share what God is saying. We're going to go through the progression of all of that today, but what you'll find is they eventually pick the work back up. Praise God. And they begin to, to, to start on the temple and eventually complete it. So God's voice comes to the prophet, and also Zechariah came along during that time, and it reignited or re-jump-started the work for God that the people were supposed to be doing all along. So here's the encouraging part of this, is that we have a speaking God who, if we also have a listening people, His word always has the potency and the capacity to begin a fresh new work or revive a dormant one. I just wonder today, church, if there might be folks here now in this room who God started something in you a season ago or seasons ago, and for whatever reason that came along, that work might have been stalled or halted, and God has a word for you today to reignite and jumpstart that work. I believe He can do that. Do you believe He could do that? Amen. All right, let's go to Haggai chapter 1. Begin reading in the first uh, 10 verses, 11 verses here. It was the second year of King Darius. And it was the sixth month and the first day of the month. And the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what he said. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, but this temple lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. So thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house, that it is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all of the labor of your hands. Hmm. So God is coming to the people through the prophet, and He's basically saying, you are neglecting the work on my house. You're neglecting the work for my kingdom to move forward. And God is wanting to correct something 
that they have drifted away from. Here's a question I want you to think about today as we move into the message. Is the kingdom of God and advancing his kingdom, is that truly the highest priority to which the aim of my life is set on? Because I think that's really what God is, is kind of calling out in the people. And it's more of a subtle shift sometimes than we might realize, where we begin to kind of take our eyes off of the reason we're doing things or the reason we have certain blessings and resources at our disposal, and we begin to kind of take our eyes off of His kingdom. It's, watch this, it's subtle, and we just kind of look at our own needs and our own desires. And God wants to teach them something very important, which is the whole, whole overarching theme of Haggai, which is that God's house... God's kingdom has always been and will always be the first priority in the hearts of his people. Amen? The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Consider Your Ways. Consider Your Ways. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we are in need of your Holy Spirit to illuminate your Holy Scriptures. We know that revelation does not come through the natural man, but by your spirit to our spirit. So we ask you, God, to reveal, uncover, unveil hidden truths that could never be known without you. Reveal them to our heart today. Encourage our heart. Fill us up, God, that we might be strengthened, improved, have our way directed more accurately in the steps that you have for us, that we would be your people and you would be our God. We say to you now, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And everybody said, amen, amen. So, such is usually the case, we always have a luxury when we look back on something that's already happened and see it from a future context, right? We can look on what's going on and think, how could you, how could you not get that? <laughs> how did you stop working on God's house and start doing your own things and neglect that? So when we look backwards on something like we're doing in the Scriptures, it just seems so apparent. But you've heard the phrase, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Right, which means when you look back, it's crystal clear, perfect vision. And we have that luxury of seeing this today, but in the time that they were in, for that 16-year period or so, that they were neglecting the work, that it was stalled out, I just want to suggest to you that that was not really that clear to them. They had made a subtle shift and adjustment, and that's why the prophet is coming and saying, consider your ways, which he says that multiple times we're going to go through that progression in, in this book, but it's basically like saying, you need a wake-up call, right? Consider your ways. It means to think deeply on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Think about, it's like, just time out. Think about your present situation and circumstances and the trajectory of where you're headed if none of those things change, Right? You guys ever had a job where a boss comes to you or maybe in school and your teacher comes to you and they're like, hey, Matt, I need you to see me in my office after class. We need to talk. You're like, oh, okay. I know what that means. 
right? It's like we, we, need to, we need to have a timeout and we need to have a serious discussion. And that's what's going on here, right? God in love is bringing the prophet to say, hey, I want to I set you back on course so that you get headed in the right direction because right now you're not headed in the right direction. Consider your ways. Everybody say that with me. Consider your ways. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is consider what you've been doing. That's where he starts. Let's just take inventory of what's been going on. And here are the things that we see. This is from the verses that we just read, actually. Is that they are working on their own houses. He's saying you're, you're, you're building paneled houses. You're beautifying your own homes. Now listen, you got to hear me through this. It's so important that you hear the full message of what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home. <laughs> That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're beautifying your home. You're building paneled houses. You're tending to your own needs and desires and wants. Meanwhile, my work is being neglected. Right? I have to ask myself this question often. I really do. Because it just gets so busy with things that are good things. And noble, worthwhile I can give you 25 reasons why most things that come along are good things. But here's the difference. Is it a God thing? You've maybe heard that before. And I have to ask myself that question. Is this God's work or is this Matt's work? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? Am I busy with God's work or am I busy with my work? And so what God is saying is you're doing, you're doing your own stuff. You're taking care of your own needs, your own houses. He's kind of calling them out for that because, meanwhile, the work that he already instructed them to do to rebuild the temple, reinstate worship, really make a house for him to dwell in that his presence might be there with his people, that was, that's been put on hold. You see what's going on now? Like the real priority has become a lesser priority. So their priorities are out of order. And it happens, again, more subtly sometimes than we might think. And then they begin to kind of make excuses about it. This is where it gets fun. Because we do this too. Right? They make excuses. They, he opens up by saying, here's what the people are saying. It's not the time right now. It's not the time. It didn't feel right. Not feeling it right now. To build God's house. It's always tricky when we get led by feelings instead of truth. Isn't it? And see, so people are like, well, it's not the time, God. It's not the season. Like, we, we, we're lacking. We're, we're, we have scarcity right now. There's only so much coming in. And that's true, right? And so they're kind of pushing back and making these reasons and excuses, almost like God understands. And this is what happens. And think about this, right? Is we begin to try to justify things sometimes, just like they're doing, that are really not what God is saying to do, as if God understands our circumstances and will be okay with that. And it's like saying, well, Lord, I can't really be generous right now because I don't have a lot. Or God, I know I'm not supposed to be living in a relationship outside your laws of what you say about relationships, but 
there's just things that you don't quite understand, or I, I think it's okay considering my circumstances, or, you know, we, you fill in the blank, right? We think God understands, we kind of convince ourselves of that. Here's what I want to say to you, and I, I mean this completely in love. God does not understand. He does not. He, he understands in the sense that he knows what you're going through and everything that you're dealing with, but not in the sense that he's going to permit it because the circumstances are so tough. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so that's what they're kind of trying to do. And God's saying, hold the phone. Nope, not going to fly. And he actually flips it over. He says, you've, you've really got this whole thing backwards. You're right. You have scanty harvests and you have poor bodily health and your work is frustrating and it's producing very little yield on your crops like, they're going through the rat race and the motions and getting very little out of it. And God's saying, you actually have it backwards. You think you can't work on my work and do, my, do the work on my house and give because you don't have enough. And I'm telling you, you don't have enough because you're not doing the work that I'm telling you to do. Do you see that? It's just like, he's just like, you got it backwards. But do you see how that is why the Bible says we have to live by faith and not by sight? You see that? It means trusting something that's not seen and living according to that, believing that the result will come that God says will come. They're not doing that right now. And a lot of times we don't either. You say, nope, these excuses, you know, they're they're not going to fly. And they are seeing a lot of frustration in the work that they're doing, and nothing is coming out of that. So in that situation, no amount of Labor, ingenuity, investment, creativity, skill, or ability is going to produce a different outcome. That's one of the things I want you to see. See, Because this this was always my answer. Maybe some of you can relate to this. When things were getting tough, difficult, not quite working and happening, this was always my answer. I'll just work harder. Anybody else ever thought that? Like, I'll just work harder. I'll just, I'll just put in more time. I'll just put in more hours. I'll figure out how to be a little bit more productive. And that's kind of always my solution. And I'm not saying there aren't times for that. There are times whenever I buckle down and grind. And, and, but I'm saying that there are many points where I was doing it with the wrong mindset. Like, that was going to solve everything. The point here I want you to get is it didn't matter how hard they worked. They, they could have went 24-7 around the clock. And they were not going to get a different result. The blessing that they were trying to catch and chase was never coming. So any hope that conditions would change if they kept doing the same thing was a false hope. I think somebody might need to hear this today. There's a such thing as false hope. Just like there's a such thing as false peace. Right? You ever heard people say that to you? Like, well, I just, I'm, I'm doing this, or I'm making this decision, or I'm going in this direction, because I just, I just really have peace about it. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to have the peace of God. It's a navigational tool. When the real peace of God is there, it, it, even if it doesn't make sense, you go. When the peace of God is not there, it can look like it makes complete sense, and I'm still not going to go, because the peace of God isn't there. But what I want you to think about is this. Satan comes as an angel disguised in light, Right? There's a such thing as false hope or false peace. I think it's going to get better if I keep doing the same thing. But you're not doing what God's told you to do. So it's not going to get better. It's not going to change. I I have a peace about this. Well, 
The enemy would love for you to think that's the peace of God, but where you're headed and how you're doing that, it's contrary to what God's word has already said. So that's not peace. That's false peace. Am I helping anybody today? Maybe I'm helping myself. So, <laughs> so th- th- that's kind of where they're at with all of this. And I love it. God is saying, consider your ways. Wake up, wakey, wakey, right? Like it's not going to change until you change. And so they're going around. Did you remember the part when we opened up and it said they, they earn wages to put them into a bag with holes? Another translation says they fill their pockets, though they have holes in them. So here's what happens. They're doing the wrong things, setting their hand and their heart to their own desires, to their own work, not, not God's work, not his kingdom, their kingdom. And so they're just taking the talents and gifts and the things that they have, which, mind you, are already blessings from God, and they're using them for themselves instead of for God's work. Again, it was a subtle shift. And then they're just, man, I just don't understand why I don't ever have enough. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> it's $50 a quarter right there. She filled the glass up, and it was only that full. I was like, wow, $50 doesn't go very far these days, does it? <laughs> so they just fill in their pockets with holes, and it's, it's never going to change. That's what God's saying. So then we move to point number two, which is consider what you should be doing. Right? Consider what you should be doing. Let's read chapter 1, verse 13. Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. So what should they be doing? They should be attending to God's work. They should be doing what God is leading them to do and telling them to do. Prioritizing His house even over their own. Now let me just nip something in the bud. This is... This is um, a, a lie, a lying thought that the enemy would introduce, right? Is it, well, I've got to take care of myself before I do something for the kingdom. It sounds noble, okay? But it's, again, contrary to kingdom. What God says is, if you focus on building my house first, I'll build yours. That's actually what God's saying. Again, not because he needs us to. His kingdom is going to reign forever. It's going to continue to increase until Jesus returns, and it's going to flood in. So it's happening regardless. But what God is saying, in your heart, for me to do everything I want to do in your life, I need, you need to be kingdom first focused. And you take care of my house, and I'll build your house. I like that deal. I don't know about you. I like that because he's way better at it than I am. Psalms 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Think about that. If I'm trying to build my own house, take care of my own stuff, and give God my leftovers, I'm falling miserably short of the life that God, Jesus, died for me to have. He says, you take care of my house, and I'll build your house, right? Consider what you, be, you should be doing. And so then he says it. 
We read those verses. The Spirit of God comes along and stirs up the spirit of the people. So they are now re-energized, praise God, to get back to the work that God was calling them to do. They start building again. God's house first, not just their own. So the, the, the lie is that somehow uh, the kingdom needs would ever conflict or conflict with our own household. Never. If we live kingdom, then our household is always provided for. You follow? That's, that's, that's what God's inviting them into. He says, and, and I want to I be a part of that. So then the Spirit of God comes along, and then the Spirit of God begins to partner with the people to do the work and advance God's house. Hmm. Now that's fascinating. Here's what that suggests, guys, is that God wants to anoint your work with His grace and ability that will far supersede your skill, gift, or talent. He's given you the skill, gift, or talent, but He can put a blessing on it that may not be there, that can produce supernatural results. Amen? I want that. That marks a child of God. People can look at a talented person and say, they're pretty talented. Pretty talented, pretty gifted. But you look at somebody who's walking in God's favor, who his spirit is upon to enhance, improve, and elevate the results of the work that they're doing because they're kingdom focused first. I promise you, nobody's that good. It marks us, it illuminates God's people to the world. It's part of his design. But we've got to, if, and we hear that and we think, yeah, that's great. I want to live there. Well, will you have faith for it? Because it's kingdom first, right? Kingdom first. And he says, what are, they, what are they supposed to be doing? Obviously, they're supposed to be doing God's work, his, his work first. I believe with all of my heart that serving the kingdom of God is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. I will not hesitate from telling you that. I'm not saying that that means everybody's got to, you know, come in here and clean the church or paint walls or whatever. I mean, those are all parts of things. I'm just, I'm saying the kingdom of God, advancing his kingdom is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. Your career can be stewarded to build the kingdom. Your marriage can be stewarded to build the kingdom. Your relationships, your giftings, your talents, your finances, right? Every one of those things can be redirected to kingdom or they can be directed towards our own desires and needs. I think building the kingdom of God is absolutely the greatest thing you can do with your life. And Haggai was telling them that. And you know what? I'm, I'm sure, as is the case today, that there's people who would hear me say that, just like they would hear Haggai say that, that would probably say something like this. Oh, that Haggai, he's just out for our money. There he is. He's, he just wants us to serve him. You know, he just wants us to, to just build that project. He just wants that, and the money, right? That, that's another way the enemy can try to get in there and impede what God wants to do is trying to block that truth from getting in by giving people a cynical thought. Think, well, Haggai just wants their money. No, Haggai cares about you. And he wants you to live the life that God has for you. 
I believe with all my heart, serving the kingdom of God is the greatest thing that you can do with your life. But we have to do it for the right reasons. He actually says something else in there. He says, uh, he gives this example. It's in chapter 2. You can read it later. But he says, you know, if a priest is bringing an offering to the temple, because the priest had to be cleansed, and the offerings had to be cleansed ceremonially so that they were sanctified before they could be brought into the presence of God. And he says, so if a priest is bringing an offering and the priest or the offering touched something unclean, like a dead body, does that not have to be cleansed? He says, yeah, absolutely. He says, so if it's unclean and then it just touches a priest who is clean, does it make it clean? No, absolutely not. So here's what he was doing. He's doing this object lesson. In fact, I do want to read this. Let's read uh, verse 14. So Haggai answered and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. So he's saying, it's not enough even to just go through the motions. It's necessary that the heart behind it is right. You know, sometimes there are people who are like, I'm just going to, you know, drop my envelope in the box. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, uh, take my turn, you know, in the schedule serving or whatever. And it's just like they're just going through the motions as if the deed themselves are, are glorifying and honoring God when the heart behind it isn't set right yet. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, no, it doesn't matter what you do or how much you do. It's, it's, if it's not being done out of the right heart, you're just going through the motions and nothing you give me is accepted, right? So my, uh, my son, he's, this is a funny story. So I make this um, cleanser drink that I drink a few times a week. And it's made up of... Um, Oh my gosh. Apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, turmeric, black pepper, ginger, and cinnamon. A couple of the health nuts in the room are like, he gets it, he gets it, all right. So I make this drink up, right? This concoction, this cleanser a few times a week. And I've let all of the girls and Katie try it, and they don't want anything to do with it anymore. It's not great to taste. But my son... (laughs) I tell him one day, I said, son, that'll put hair on your chest. And so now, every time I drink it, he makes me save him some. And and it slams it, you know. And then every time after he slams it and he's done, he goes like this. He, he, He says to me the other day, we're driving around, he goes, dad, it's happening, I'm getting hair. And then a little while later, he's like, ah, I was wrong. It was just a rash. (laughs) So the point of that is, is that if we're doing something, even if what we're doing might make sense, if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, it's never going to produce the result that it's intended to produce. I think I got there. I don't know. Um, But you get the point, right? So. Consider what you've been doing, consider what you should be doing, and then point number three, what we'll finish up today is, consider what God will do. 
Consider what God will do if we honor him, put him first. Go to chapter 2, verse uh, 18. It says, consider now from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded, yet not yet yielded fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Wow. Consider from this day forward. It's just basically like saying different approach, different result. And don't forget it again. Because it's not desirable when you do. Saying, remember this from here on out. The lesson that you're learning today. As you re-engage in the work. I will bless you. I just want to remind you today. Only God can make it rain. He's saying, I'll put a blessing on your life. On your nation. On your family. On your household. You can never tap into when you're living for yourself first. It's not reachable. But when you make me first, my work first, you'll live under something that's so incredible, you can never even imagine how good it could be until you're there. Here's what blessing means. It means to be in, in, this, con, in this particular uh, verse, because it can mean a lot of different things, but endued with power for success prosperity and longevity to live according to the supernatural as opposed to the natural and they go from exaggerated limitations to exaggerated results what changed their commitment to God's house first their commitment to God's work instead of their work And when he's first, and Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, seek first, set your eye on, desire the kingdom first, and all things will be added unto you. I love that. Everything is available to us in God. He even reminds them in one of these verses, he says, the silver and gold you need, it's mine. I own it all. Which is to say, there's no lack here. I got everything you need. The difference is, it hasn't been released to you yet. What's, what's in between those two things? It's available and it's released. The difference in between is our faith. Trusting God, putting Him first, and then when our faith is operative in the situation, then the grace of God responds and the blessing and the provision is released. Right? So he says, I will do, I will bless you from here on out. And then he says, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. Now here's the whole, there's a, there's a whole lot to pull in here, okay? But the first temple that Solomon built had been destroyed. It was grand and glorious. And they're rebuilding a second temple after it's been destroyed. It's not as grand by eye. And glorious is the first. 
And so a lot of them were lamenting over that. They're, they can't get beyond what was to lay hold of what can be. Say it like that. And, but God says the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. He's not talking about now the new temple that's going to get put up. He's speaking now prophetically, okay? And we, we even have an eschatological arc that comes in here too. But he says the, the latter be greater than the former because we know that now we are a body, we are a building, we are a temple collectively as God's church. And he fills his people with his spirit and with his glory. And that will increase on the earth to increase his work until Jesus comes back to take his bride. Wow. That's powerful. It's just something that we can tap into by faith. But sometimes, sometimes it's really just a matter of redirecting where we're facing. I want you to get this because... Sometimes people are in a bad vehicle, and they got to switch vehicles. That happens. But more often, this has just been my observation. I say this to, hopefully this helps some people. More often than not, if somebody really has a heart for God, they've been kind of reaching for God, I'm reading the Word, I'm praying, I'm just trying to figure all this out. More often than not, they're not really in a bad vehicle. They're just aimed in the wrong direction. It could be as simple as saying, oh my gosh, I never even thought about how my job or my business could be used to build the kingdom of God. Like I've never even looked that high before. I lift up my eyes now and see something higher. Same vehicle, redirected. Does that make sense? I think a lot of times that's what it is. God changes something in our heart and then it changes the trajectory. Remember, consider your ways of where we're headed. We were headed here. Now we're headed here. Same vehicle different direction. I think a lot of times that's what happens. I have a really good friend. I'll close with this story. And he has been very successful in business. And about four or five years ago, we were talking a lot and about business principles and generosity and giving and all these things. And I was just kind of challenging him uh, with, you know, tithe and generosity and all this stuff. And he began to live by some of these principles. Again, he's already seen blessing in his business. So he calls me up one day. He's like, man, I got to share this with you. He said, you know, I've been, I've been doing well. God's been blessing us. And for a long time, I've really wanted to get a Rolex watch. He's like, I told myself, like, when I get to a certain point, I'm going to buy myself a Rolex, you know. And so we've been doing very well. I was going to go buy this Rolex. I knew which one I was going to get, color picked out, all that. He's like, and then God convicted me about something in the midst of all the stuff we've been talking about. And I remembered that this guy had come and spoke and talked about how there was a lot of places in third world countries that didn't have running water. And this guy and his organization dug wells. He's like, and wouldn't you believe this? The cost for a well was exactly the cost for this Rolex watch. I was like, yeah, I do believe it. He says, so I listened to the Lord, and uh, I sent the check to the well. 
I said, that's awesome, man. That's great. I, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, kingdom, you know. He's like, well, that's not all. He's like, God started blessing us even more. And we began to increase even more, making more money, more blessing, more favor. He's like, so then one of his wife's family members, he found out that when they had their child and the child was in the hospital for a long time, they racked up a bunch of medical bills. They were behind and they weren't making a bunch of money and they were struggling. He found out about it. He paid off all of their medical bills. And then he found out about another family member that their car broke down and they were struggling and he bought them a car. Then he bought another family a vacation because they were really stressed and they couldn't afford a vacation. And he's just doing all these things and I'm like, my gosh, how much are you making? You know? and, <laughs> and he's telling me all this stuff but I just see the favor of God all over his life. He is wildly successful. He could probably buy 10 Rolexes easy today if he wanted to. But the point is, is that he began to shift and redirect the same vehicle he was in to see kingdom first, right, instead of his own needs. And God's blessed him abundantly. He's got a new house. He's got, you know, he's doing great, but he's just continuing to overflow. And the people that he's blessing is amazing. And so I just want to encourage you with that today. Church is, God owns everything. His resources are, are infinite. And he wants to release them to you. But he will release to those whom he can trust. And whom he can trust are identified by those who will put his kingdom first. Amen.